Book Two, Chapter Four of Precious Bane by Mary Webb. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. The Wizard of Plash. Christmas went by us, and naught stirred the quiet, unless you count killing the pig. Nobody came Christmasing, for there was nowhere for them to come from, and nothing for them to come for. Mother was very middling with a cough, and took to her bed, so I didn't go for a lesson till the New Year. But on New Year's Day I went, and, as I ever liked to pay first, I took the oxen straight away to the field I was ploughing for Beguildy. He couldn't abide ploughing, so for every lesson I did so many furrows. I could plough nearly as well as most men, though not so well as Gideon. He drove the straightest furrow I ever saw. It was impossible for him to do anything ill. What he did, whether it was to be seen or not, whether it was done once in a way or every day, must be done as if his life was on it. He'd have no makeshifts. He'd thatch the ricks, even though they were to be cut into straight away, as well as if he was working for the thatcher's medal. Working by his lonesome in the fields, hedging or binding sheaves, with only the tall clouds for watchers and the woods floating on the summer mist, he'd still labour like a man showing his metal at a hiring fair. Times I thought it was pitiful the way he gave himself no rest, and times I could almost see the crowd of folk, the farmers watching, the judge sitting in his wagon or trotting to and again on his cob. I could almost hear the muttering of the folks, the jeering when Gideon bungled, the roar of cheering when he did well and the judge saying in his loud voice, I give the prize to Gideon Sarn, best man in the hedging, the binding, and the ploughing. Then I'd come to myself and see only the tall clouds that hadn't stirred, the tall hedges with meadow-sweet below, the woods and hills and the sweet blue air with larks hanging in it, as if them above had let them down on threads, and shaking so with a joyful song that they threatened to break their threads. Not a bit did they care who won the prize, nor which of them sang best or loudest, so long as all sang, so long as none lacked nest or cropful, drink of dew, and space to sing in. These things I thought while I was ploughing the five-acre field at Plash, with the white oxen, that looked yellow in the deathly white of the hoar-frost which lay over the earth like a shroud, though not too hard for ploughing. As the share went onwards, the reddish turned earth shone richly, and the rooks followed, for they were sore-clemmed poor things, walking stately in the furrows. In a while, Jancis came running across from the house with her mother, all agog to tell me of the hand-fasting of her and Gideon, and of how angered beguiled he was. Jancis did truly look as lovely as a fairy, with her rosy face and yellow curls. Mrs. Beguiledy came panting after, apron flying, 
and loaded with news, like one of the French frigates, folk tell of. But we want to starve here like crows, she said. Come you in and have a sup of tea. San brought me a pound canister, no less. I knew he must be very deep in love to bring more than a quarter, but I said naught, only finished my furrow and unspanned the cattle. We can have a nice chat, for Dad's busy in his room curing Miller's Polly, says Jancis. What's to do with Polly? It's what inner to do with that child, says Mrs. Begayardy. First she got the chin cough, and now she's got the ringworm. She's always got summat. He's put her in a chair with a string of roasted onions round her neck, and I'm sure I cried quartz getting them ready. Dunna you ever be wife to a wizard, Prue. It's like what it says in the good book, and I wish I could go to church Christian and hear it. It be like it says, I die daily. Ah, it's like that, being wife to a wizard. If it inner onions, it's summat else. I'm sure I near broke my neck fetching bletch from the church bells for this very child to cure the chicken pox, the maester being a deal too bone idle to fetch it himself. Never you mind, mother. When I'm married, I'll look after you, says Jancis. I could not but sigh to think what a many plans they were all making, and each plan cutting the throat of the others. I put the oxen in the shippen and came in. There was a good fire and a pleasant scent of tea, and I was bound to feel a bit glad that Polly was such a measly child, though it was unkind, for I knew Big Ildy would be a long while curing her. Mother always said the mill children were measly because the water fairy in the pool under the mill race put her eye on her mother afore they were born. But Gideon said it was because they were fed on the flour the rats got into. And Mrs. Beguildy said it was because they sent them to Beguildy to be cured. A dose of brimstone and treacle, that be what she wants, and some good food. But the mill's no place for good bread, no more than the farm's a place for good butter, seeing it means cash, and the home folk get the leavings. Just then, Beguildy popped his head in, and looking dreamily at his missus, said, I want some may butter. May butter? You met as well ask for gold. How don't you think I've got any May butter, nor June, nor July butter neither, when we sell every morsel of butter we make, almost afore it be out of the churn, and never taste naught but lard? I'm bound to have May butter, or the charm wanna work, says Beguiled in his husky voice. What be it for? To fry the mid-bark of the elder, and cure the chin-cough. Well... For all the butter, May or December, as she'll get in our place, she may die of the chin-cough, shouts Mrs. Beguildy. And with that, a loud roaring came from the inner chamber, because poor Polly thought she was at death's door. Go and read in your old books, and find some at easier, says Mrs. Beguildy. I've some at better to think of than charms. You be above yourself, woman. 
You think to see our Jancis wedded and bedded and rounding to a grandchild all in a lantern puff. But I tell ye, not every troth ends in church. Not every ring holds a wedlock. Not every bridegroom takes his virgin, and I done like the match. Old San still begrutches me that crown, though he be where crowns by naught. And, I tell you, young San was born under the threepenny planet, and he'll never keep money. Sleeps on his face, too, and them as does that drowns. My girl's not for San. You may ride roughshod over my wish and will. You may send out bidding letters for a love-spinning, which is all to the good. But still I'll bide for a higher bidder. Why, she be as white as a lady, and as sound as a well-grown tater. No squire, nor lord even, but would take it kind to be asked to lie beside her. But not to wed with her. What of it? He'd pay, wouldn't he? By this, Jancis was roaring, crying as well as Polly. Beguiledy popped into his room again, and we set to work to comfort her. We drew close into the fire with our tea, and planned for me to write the bidding letters for the love-spinning. And a caking into the bargain, says Mrs. Beguiledy. You make money by a caking. And Weaver shall come, and stop a two-three days, and make up all we've spun. Jancis clapped her hands. Oh, I dearly love a do, she said. Ah, so do I. But a caking be the best of all. Oh, I love Gideon dearly for asking me to wed. All the while, as we talked, we could hear poor Polly coughing and whooping sore and beguiled his shouting, Quiet now, hush your noise, I say. Curse ye, you're cured. Then Mrs. Beguiledy asked me to write down the biddings for them to see. So I did, and they were mighty pleased, for all they couldn't read what I'd written, any more than two butterflies in the hedge can read the milestone. Put down, says Mrs. Beguiledy, as Jancis, only daughter of Mr. Felix Beguildy, and Hepzibah, his wife, is promised and trothed to Mr. Gideon Sarn, farmer, living on his own land at Sarn, and put down, as they'll be wed as soon as may be, and that Jancis invites him to a love-spinning. And put down, says Beguildy, popping his head in again, that you're a parcel of fools, and that this marriage shall not be till Sarnmir goeth into the earth whence it came. For I've seen in a glass darkly a young squire that rides this way with his pockets full of gold. When Polly was gone, coughing as bad as ever, and I went into the other room for my lesson, I gave Jancis a little pat on shoulder, for I was sorry for the child. She looked more than ever like a petal of the May on a day of cold rain. Well now, says Beguiledy, I make no doubt you've ploughed a tidy bit. Ah, well, what'll I learn ye? Learn me to write, marriages be made in heaven, mister, and whom God hath joined together, let no man put us under. He chuckled a bit. Clever wench. 
but you'll not get the better of me. Rather, shall you write, intermeddle not with high matters. Dunna a wizard, as knows the fortunes of a parish, know what's best for his own? Leave be, mister. There's enough again, the poor child, what with fate and such a pig-headed man as Gideon. If you meddle, maybe you'll do harm as you can amend. Na more, na more, I've said my say, dunna weary me. He beat lightly on his little music, which was a sign that his patience was over. As the notes tinkled out, I knew it was useless to argle any more. For, as there was no power or sweetness in his flinty music, such as there is from harp and fiddle, so there was none in his soul. It gave a small flinty music, because it was a small and flinty thing. He'd got no pity, because he'd got no strength. For it inner weaklings and women that pity best, but the strong mastering men. They may put it from them, as my brother San did, but even so it will come upon them some day, and the longer they deny it, the stronger it will be when it comes. Ah, it may even be such an agony as will make a man hate his life. End of Book 2, Chapter 4